Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 217 of Final Fantasy Union. I'm your host, Daryl, and I'm here with Lauren. Hi, guys. And today, we have a guest. <gasps> Ooh, who it is, is it? Chris, aka Hugathy from Discord. Welcome, Yay! Chris. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Great to be back. It feels like a long time since you have been I know. on the show. It's been about a year since the Final Fantasy VIII anniversary, so yeah, it's been a while. That was a much different time. It was. Final Fantasy VIII. You know? Both Final Fantasy VIII yeah. and 2019 were both very different times. Very yes. different times, yeah. <laughs> so basically, it's your designation to come back whenever we do retrospectives. Mm. I'm all for that, yeah. I'd love to. Retrospective, boy. Retrospective evolutions, that's me. 100%. <laughs> yeah, so based on that, you guys, well, you've probably seen from the title, but today we are talking about Final Fantasy XIII as it's been 10 years since the game came out that's crazy which is absolutely bonkers yeah that's hard to believe yeah i mean so just as a fun fact for you all 10 years ago i was skyping with daryl while he was reviewing final fantasy 13 because we were dating at the time i was off in america and daryl was here getting very, very frustrated with me because I kept distracting him and being like, Daryl, Daryl, pay attention to me. And he's just like, I just need to be the final boss. Uh, he, he just, this game just made him so angry. It, well, it made me angry because of the circumstances deadline, I was deadline. playing it in. And I was going to talk about this later, but let's talk about it now. Yeah, I mean, it's a because, good introduction. Because, you know, not too many people... I don't think have the situation where you have like imagine trying to finish Final Fantasy Thirteen in three days with no guides at all, and no one to talk to either, no one to talk to because no one else has played it, Mm-mm. and also no game facts or anything. Yeah. yeah, like because no one had written guides, it wasn't out. I mean, I managed to find. I think I did get stuck at one point. I managed to find a Japanese guide. <laughs> which I had to use Google Translate. Which obviously ten years ago, Google Translate was not the best. So I had to try and try and figure it out. And I think the difficulty for me was the fact that the gameplay, irrespective of the switch to the, the dynamic ATB system, the gameplay mechanics, I was not used to using status effects and mm. actually having like seeing them make a big impact on the way the battles turned out. That just wasn't the way that Final Fantasy played. It's just you hit X, you cast the right magic at the weaknesses. Sometimes you will cast Protect and Shell to do defensive stuff. But that's about it. Like, you don't have to worry about debuffs and buffing your own characters up. You did in Final Fantasy XI, but not in an offline game. Like, the worst mm. it got was, like, in Final Fantasy X when you had to keep making yourself a zombie during the Unalaska yeah, fight. Yeah, or <sighs> using cheer because I was too weak to beat Jekt. Yeah. So Final Fantasy thirteen was, was, a, a, was a difficult. And, and also because there was no tutorial around using those job classes mm. at all. And like, like what was the best combination stuff? Yeah, like, so I, I looked didn't that use, stuff up all the time. I didn't use Saboteur uh, at all. I used pretty much just Ravager and Commando and Sentinel. Like they were the, the quintessential classes that you would have. I didn't see any need for anything else. And I managed to get all the way through to the first Bartandalus fight without any problems whatsoever. Mm. I still managed to beat him after much griping <laughs> to the point where I think I beat him when I had Doom cast on me, I think, by the end of it. So I clearly was doing it wrong, but I didn't know I was doing it wrong. I just thought, because mm. sometimes in games, in previous Final Fantasy games, you would have Doom cast on you. 
It's just yeah. part of life. <laughs> I didn't realize they were casting Doom on me in 13 because I was too, I was going too slow. Yeah. <laughs> it was their yeah. way of saying, speed it up. Come on. Yeah, and that then, was such a weird mechanic to add because we never had that before. No, and then I got to the second Bartandalus fight and I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. And I think that's when I was just racking my brains, getting really stressed at Lauren because I like, I think <laughs> okay. you know, I, I had maybe a day to finish the game before the deadline for the embargo was up. So I still had to finish the game and then write the review. Yeah. <laughs> It was and a tough time. I think I found some Japanese guys and they were just saying to use the different classes. And I was like, oh, all right, like I'll, I'll give it a go. And then, yeah, like faith, bravery, using the debuffs on them. And it was just like all of a sudden I was doing like five or six times damage. And it's like, well, this is a lot easier. A lot easier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I should start doing this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a thing. Like um, it's kind of the, the hard thing about about how Final Fantasy does their games, doesn't it? Because every game is so different from the last. You can't you can't really play too many Final Fantasies and expect to play it the same way through as you did the last game. Um, I mean, maybe a bit from like, I don't even know, no. Like the first few maybe, but like even then, like you just can't play it the same way. Yeah, some of the early games had notorious difficulties, but I yeah. think generally status effects and stuff like they didn't really come into gameplay that much this was the one that i think made the biggest jump i don't know chris you're you're kind of the expert on the like the early early games i was thinking like maybe four through seven you could get away by playing like the exact same way as long as you like dealt with each game's individual systems yeah yeah this was definitely the first time where i wasn't just like oh i can cast poison i guess i'll do that oh that really didn't do anything okay i'll never cast that again or should like maybe like an eight with Doom Train, where you could cast all mm. the statuses at one time. Yeah, yeah, because that was always the thing. Like you had all these really cool status effects, and they worked on smaller enemies most of the time. But most of the time, you could just kill them in one hit anyway. So what's what the point? Like, yeah, you generally want would want to use these these status effects during boss fights when it's more difficult, and mm. they would be immune to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like wouldn't be allowed to use any of them. Yeah, so that's a precursor to our yes. conversation that we're yes. going to have. Before we get on to anything else, we are going to do our Patreon shout-outs. So, yeah, uh, do you want to join this, Chris? Uh, sure, yeah, I can do that. So, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do a three rotation. <gasps> It'll I be know, shocking. First time I'll read ever. whole new names. All right, so we're going to kick things off with Chris Morales. Michael Graham. Barry Norton at Nortron Zero. Thorin Bullen at Massacre 23. Tori Patrick. Fayez Balal. Louis yeah. James. Zach Duranto. Rachel Casterton at Yorba Yun Ray. Zelda Clone at Apes Type Novels. Darren Matthews at Doomster73. Joseph Robertson at Pokemon Trainer J. Ryzen. Alex and Rachel Troutman at Akira Namjin. Billy Jackson at underscore Billy Jackson. Miles Ribbons. David Calrow. Chris Pope at Dr. Pop181. Freya Stella. Flip Sudnus. Tom Hughes at Tom underscore Hughes22. Yam Potato. And Noah Luttrell. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, so our Final Fantasy 13 10th anniversary discussion time. Wee! Yeah, excitement. <laughs> Yay! Energy. It, makes, it gets to make us feel about how old we are. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's On that true. note, though, I think the best place to start the discussion is when was the last time you played Final Fantasy 13? I think I might have been about 21, 22. It was, it was about the same time that not right when it came out because I didn't have anything to play it on, but like a bit after, I'd say. 
I think I picked it up last when ten or sorry, when thirteen two was coming out. I mm. had ambitions of platinuming the game and never got around to it, so I went back and <laughs> actually was grinding a little bit to get people's crystariums levels up. But uh, yeah, I think that would have been the last time it was right before thirteen two. Yeah, it's a rough plan to try and get. Yeah, that's uh, the weapons thing is bonkers. Yeah, yeah, I think I was about the same. I I played it for review mm. and then I've not touched it since. <laughs> Just the wounds. The wounds are they cut too deep. And I think the weird thing about that is that all the previous games I played were in, you know, the, the stage of my life where I was quite young. Mm. So I remember most of them vividly. But Final Fantasy 13, I guess maybe because I had to rush it so much, it just kind of blends into one. I wasn't able to take my time and, and take a lot of it in. Yeah. Right. But I've also had to uh, write a lot of stuff around the, the characters. So we've delved into like Caius, obviously he's not in, the, in 13, but... Um, there were things relating to his story, like um, lightning we've done as well. Lightning is very intense yeah. story-wise. Yeah, but no. I don't know why I went for Caius first then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm very similar. Like um, my memory of 13 is very, very, very minimal. Um, I want to say I, I, I don't, I definitely didn't speed through it as, as fast as you did, but I almost feel like I skimmed it. Like I spark notes or sorry, Cliff's notes, Final Fantasy Thirteen, because the finer details, I just don't remember. Well, I mean, <laughs> a lot of it was contained in like, the data log the, in terms of the finer, finer details. Yeah. But I think it's also the different time of life that many of us were in. Like, I think Maybe. when we were playing the original games, we were locked in focus. We didn't have many other distractions. But when we were playing Thirteen, like I was talking to you on Skype at the same time. People watch TV, they've got mm. their phones going off, like it's it's much more easy to get distracted when you're playing these games and they need focus really to understand all the different things that are going on. Yeah. Because these games, I feel as though lots of like sometimes critical conversations just happen like really quickly. Whereas in the older games, it was text boxes, so you actually had to read it and progress the game at your own pace, whereas now it progresses at its own pace. So it's quite. It's, I think it's much easier to to forget things, and because mm. there's more cutscenes now, like but FMVs and non FMVs. In a way, I feel like the other difficulty with thirteen is the fact that it jumped around so much. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't really like a linear story. Because like as much as people make fun of the fact that it's a very linear game, the story is not very linear because you're constantly jumping around from thing to thing. You go past. You're in the current time and then you jump to the past where you figure out about like Lightning and Sarah's relationship. And then you jump to another time period where Sarah's talking with Vanille. And then you jump to another time period um, in the present time, but with completely different characters. Like it was, I feel like the separation of the characters was to the game's complete detriment because although like maybe you had more time separately with each character um in a in a way not having them together as a party and not having a set person as the sort of leader of the group really make it hard to pinpoint where exactly you are in the freaking game like, yeah, i don't know we, when things happen it's what we talked about when we actually did our one year review i remember that i remember <laughs> the one year review when we had colin on and we were talking about how one of the struggles that 13 had was that it had six main characters. Mm. It wasn't that there's, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, they had, or 10, they had a protagonist and everyone else was kind of supporting. Sometimes there was someone like, of an even level like Yuna, but most of the time it was 
there was one lead character, whereas whereas thirteen had six lead characters, each having to get their own limelight. And it's actually something we're looking into at the moment because Final Fantasy VI had a similar problem. Mm. There were too many main characters, and they felt like they had to give each of them their moment to shine. So the story kind of bounced around a little bit, especially towards the latter half of the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Gatase said he never wanted to do that again because it was it, it because of the detrimental impact it had. And then as soon as he steps away, Toriyama's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm yeah. going to do what you did the first time you directed a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boom. And Katara's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm still around, but okay, sure, do whatever. That's, you know. that's fine. You do you. Check but on out. that note, so when we're talking about characters, who was your favorite character? Well, I'll, I'll be the one to say Lightning. Um, <laughs> I like mm-hmm. my Final Fantasy protagonists when they're mopey and, and sullen. Although Aww. to call her simply that is not doing her justice. Like it, people can call Squall, Mopey, and Sullen, and that's a little more fitting. But I like the stoic protagonists, like Lightning and Cloud and, and Squall. So yeah, I'll be the one to say the protagonist is my favorite. <laughs> well, the the box art protagonist is my favorite. I think that's that's perfectly fine to say, though. I mean, she is a really strong character. Like she's she's got a lot of baggage, but she's tough in a not so like. I'm a tough character kind of way. Like it's not, it's not terribly put on. Like sometimes it it can be. Yeah, and she has, she has that same kind of growth too that like Cloud and Squall have, where they start out very mm. focused on one thing and don't want to be bothered with anybody else. Like she just wants Sarah safe, and she doesn't want Snow around if she can help it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's all she wants in life. She just doesn't want Snow around. <laughs> but yeah, but then you see her open up and mostly by having to carry hope around with her half the time. And, um, yeah. and then towards the end of the game, like it's the same growth you see in other, another Final Fantasy protagonist where they're a much different character by the end of it. And it's all a very natural and, and earned progression. Like her reaction to what she's done with hope and how she like gave him a freaking dagger when he's like out for blood. Like watching <laughs> her react to that is like a mood. Cause she's just like, what did I just do? Oh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the best of choices. I'm just going to ignore it, and I'm just going to go over here for a little bit. Bye, guys. I mean, if, I mean, if, obviously if that's... Hope kills Snow, I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing for her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, that's what they were trying to do with the character pairings, because Lightning and Hope, it helped to highlight to each of them something. And by splitting them out in that way, I think obviously that's what they were trying to to achieve. Mm. You know, the the moment that Lightning has the confrontation with Hope on the bridge, where she is incredibly critical of him, and then Odin comes along because it's like her emotional moment, and then she realizes that uh, maybe I'm being a bit of a not helpful person. <laughs> <laughs> that's a way to put it. And then, but she also has that sequence. I can't remember the the place where it actually happens but they have the sequence not too long after where i think it is around where she gives him the dagger mm. there are the, there's a couple of moments where she tries to to teach him like based on what she knows and how she feels mm-hmm. and a, by doing that they always say that when you teach people you learn more about yourself mm-hmm. and i think that's what they tried to show like she was trying to impart her own ideals upon hope but then when she saw how he reacted to those ideals it maybe made her reflect a bit on herself mm-hmm. yeah for sure so i'm gonna also be i'm gonna be the other guy <laughs> and i'm gonna say snow 
and I know that Snow doesn't necessarily have the the best credibility with regards to this game because he has that whole I'm a hero (laughs) and that really rubs people the wrong way but I feel as though out of all the cast Snow has the most believable growth Mm. like he is this guy who's like puts up this front because he's really insecure underneath everything and like he people I, I think part of the reason that he has this is because everyone looks up to him whether he wants them to or not and i think he's developed this persona because someone like has to be this leader and the rest of the nora guys are like snow you're the best you're the greatest and he's kind of like well if you all think that and everyone needs this person maybe i should just step up and be this person and then obviously when everything happens with hope's mom it it, it kind of backfires but i don't think he really sees it at that moment because mm-hmm. ultimately he was trying to rally people to this cause they all wanted to be part of it she wanted to be part of it so therefore her death wasn't really his fault it was it was her fault mm. but i think the as he goes through he has this kind of stubbornness streak that's developed and the realization that he comes to that maybe things aren't the way that he feels they are and maybe he can't be what people need him to be and like when you see those walls kind of break down around him and then i guess the nicest thing for me is the is how people support him around that like and mm. even when like the whole situation with hope happens and hope's like i want to kill you and he's like yeah i kind of screwed up like i'm really sorry about your mom but then he ends up still saving his life without yeah. even really wanting to because he's hope and uh, snow and then hope's like yeah, maybe you're not such a bad guy Maybe I won't kill you. And he's like, "Oh, thanks for that." You know, yeah. like, cheers. It's a bad luck. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Th- I don't necessarily like what they did with Snow after thirteen. I mm. think that was really bad for him as a character. But I think within thirteen, I really liked the story arc that he went through of just this kind of narcissistic person who, deep down, isn't that way, but has has had to become that because that's what the world needed mm-hmm. of him at that time. And then just the. I guess everyone else realizing that he doesn't actually want to be that guy and then they can just kind of be normal around each other. No, definitely. I think like they could have handled Snow's character a bit better to make him sort of less annoying. I feel like it was like a problem of translation. Like yeah, I feel definitely. like the fact that they had so much about hero, hero, like somebody in the meeting was just kind of like, all right, this guy just has to say that he's a hero a lot. And he'll, we'll just keep saying that he's a hero. And Joy Baker's just like, I'm a hero, I'm a hero, still guard. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think that they just, they just needed some editing. They needed a thesaurus, maybe. But I think, I think he's, he's kind of one, like one of the first sort of mainer characters that, is that way like a lot of the characters in in games past have kind of grown into roles but there's not a lot of them that have been really super confident and then knocked down a peg because that they um i mean you could you could argue that zidane is that way but zidane like never really thought him i I don't see him as thinking himself as a hero to start with no, he was just confident in his own abilities. He was confident in his own abilities, whereas, like, Snow really felt as though he was, like, a hero. Um, you had Irvine, who was really confident, but he didn't really see himself as a hero in the same light. Like, there's not a lot of characters, I don't think, like Snow with that kind of arc. So it was not, it was refreshing to have someone like that who had this different story. 
Yeah, I think the ones that would probably be the most relatable would be coming in the earlier Final Fantasy games mm. where they were like Cecil, for example. But I think they were expected to be leaders and they were okay with that. Whereas mm. where Snow was this kind of a leader, but he didn't necessarily want to be, but it, like it, it was a different situation. It's like royalty, you know, they're, they're kind of... There was they're, a role he yeah, had to fill it. Exactly. And in the earlier games, and also, you know, they didn't really have the best story development back then either. So someone like Cecil, they probably didn't have the bandwidth to go into the fact that maybe he didn't want to be the king or maybe he didn't want to have this role or... They just talked about the fact that, he, you know, the betrayals and stuff. And that that's good enough. It's good enough, guys. And he's such an anti, he's such an anti Noctis, isn't he? Because Noctis is like so bitter and stubborn about like becoming king and having the responsibility that he has. Granted, you know, what what comes with that was was probably not as ideal as what comes with being a snow. Um, <laughs> but like. The fact that he was so confident to start with, and then he he gets knocked down a peg. Like, yeah, it's, it's a bit like the a flip flop of that of that story. Yeah. So yeah, I I find Snow very interesting. For me, it's really hard for me to decide on a on my personal favorite character because I didn't really connect too much with any of the characters. I felt like all of them could have been a lot better. I felt like a lot of them were sort of shell characters of what they could have been. And I think that does have like a, a lot to do with, with how they were written and how they were defined. I think Vanille, um, after I we spoke with Georgia about how she portrayed the role, it actually changed my opinion of Vanille. Um, quite considerably because she was somebody who was constantly trying to keep positive and keep happy even though everything around her was being destroyed and she does have her breakdown and um, I didn't really see her character like that before like I think a lot of people see her as just like for lack of a better word, obnoxious. Um, that's kind of like the the general yeah, because census. she would fall into that kind of typical archetype that has been there, like the the, mm. the Yuffie character, the Riku character. But they didn't think that. But everybody thought it was it was like that type of character, but with no substance. Whereas I think that's when it comes down to the localization, as you said, mm. because in Japan they probably weren't that way, mm -hmm. and they went because obviously this is the transition to voice acting. And they tried really hard with this one, I'm sure. But there were just certain things that probably didn't... Like, Snow maybe isn't as annoying in the Japanese version. I don't know. Mm. But generally, those things work a bit better because which it's is, the source language. Which is a shame as well because, like, Jack Fletcher is a really great voice director. But, like... But he I just, doesn't control the script, though. No, he doesn't control the scripts. So... Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one. I mean, if I had to if I had to throw out and say like which character do I like the most, I'd probably say Fang, but it's just because Fang is a badass and I don't think that that's a compelling enough reason for me to say that she's the best character of the bunch for me cuz like she's just kind of like like what does she I mean, she saves the world at the end of the game, which is really cool, and she sacrifices herself. But, like, there's not really 
there it, there's just not enough to latch on to to be like this is definitely my favorite character titus i can say hands down like he's my favorite character because he's selfless he has a lot of growth he grows from being like thrown into this new world and being again a bit obnoxious um but he grows into the role he sacrifices himself he learns a lot about himself like that's why i love him but i just i can't say that you just made me really think about as well you know there's that youtube video going around about well, a long time ago, I think it actually may have been Red Letter Media, where they were talking about the original Star Wars trilogy versus oh, the yeah. prequels. And they were talking about how you describe the characters in each of the different trilogies. And it's like, if you talk about Final Fantasy X, each of those characters has clear motivations as to what they're doing and why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. In Final Fantasy XIII, there's no real rationale as to why anyone's really doing anything. It's like, you know, Hope's on the they all just get put in this room and told for, and they're all just there for random reasons, not any actual mission other than lightning, lightning, snow and SARS are there for kind of similar reasons. And, and Fang and Vanilla are there for other reasons, but like, it's like the, 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 like what is lightning actually trying to achieve in the game? Mm-hmm. There's no like Yuna is trying to defeat sin. That's her journey. That's her quest. And her character is formed around that. But each of the characters in that game has different motivations. Like, Oren is trying to guide Titus and Yuna as a surrogate father. Like, there's all these different things. But in 13, it's just like, they all have the same focus. But they don't know what it is either, right? Like, their little literal focus is, like, totally up to interpretation. And I don't think they ever really understand what it is until the very end. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. spend half the game running and half of it trying to either fulfill or defy their focus based on the character. And... Yeah, it leads to a lot of ambiguity, like you said. Maybe it would have been a, a stronger choice if each of them sort of fulfilled their different focuses as the game went on. Like, there were characters that just dropped out because they fulfilled their focus. Like, maybe maybe Saws with his son. Like, he had to find out something about his relationship with his son or um, find out something within himself, like how to be a better father and that type of thing. Like that could have been his focus and then he would have become a crystal. Um, Maybe, you know, um, the whole connection with lightning and snow, like, um, like forgiveness, acceptance of snow, um, you know, maybe that could have set off her folk. Like it's just, yeah. And then maybe they could have all completed individual focuses and then, once they'd done that, come together mm-hmm. to then achieve something else. It yeah. also just made me think as well, that could have been a really nice way to, for them to reintroduce the concept of death. Mm. Because it hadn't been in since seven, maybe because they were too scared after what happened after seven. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it wouldn't be characters dying. It would be a character becoming crystallized and you wouldn't mm-hmm. be sure if they were going to come back. Mm. And then maybe they would come back or, you know, because that was obviously a, a big trope that we found out with the Sid Evolutions video where they'd often make you believe that Sid had died only for him to come back in some way. Yeah. <laughs> or Albright killed him sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so moving on from characters, yes. what was your favorite moment within the story? I mean, there were there were a few moments that made me feel like this is a Final Fantasy, but nothing made me feel like this is a Final Fantasy than like the return to Cocoon sequence. I mean, that FMV is freaking banging. It's so cool. You have lightning on freaking Odin. You have like a race, race, 
um, people racing around. You have like fights going on. Like there's so much action in that sequence. Um, and there's so much just adrenaline pumping and, um, you see a lot of the personalities of the characters as well during this scene. Yeah. I just, I freaking love that. That whole sequence as well was really cutting because isn't it around that time as well that Sid Reigns is brought back and he, mm. and then he kills himself mm-hmm. right. because he's like, I don't want to be a puppet anymore. Uh, and then you also have the fight against Yarg outside mm-hmm. of Eden mm-hmm. where he also the proud Claude. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the worst fight ever. Like, honestly, <laughs> I hate that fight. <laughs> like, that is so hard. Like, yeah, that was that was when the game kind of got real. Mm. For my choice, I think, uh, to come back to Sid Reigns, I'm going to say the moment where you fight him, um, I believe it's in the fifth arc, uh, where he confronts the party and reveals that he's been able to see all along, and it starts to inter- introduce differing motives for for him and the government and the whole idea of bringing back the maker all of that stuff, like the story really stepped up a notch there, I felt, when I was playing it the first time. Mm. Um, and a great boss fight, great boss design and everything like that. It was just all around to them, one of those like jaw-dropping moments. Yeah, no, I loved that whole sequence, even though I had to relive it like at least 10 times because <laughs> he was also a very hard boss fight. <laughs> but that was a really, really cool, a really, really cool sequence. Yeah, because around that time as well, wasn't it? May, it may have been bef- just before or sometime after, but isn't that the point where you think the Fang's going to betray you, mm. or is that afterwards? Something like that. Yeah, it's shortly before they leave the uh, cocoon in the first place. I believe it's towards. She has the that, end of that moment about like you know, I don't think this is going to work. I'm going to have to like go against you all because you don't want to do the same thing as me. And then she has her Eidolon fight. I can't remember. I can't yeah, remember that's either before or right after, yeah. Either way, my uh, sequence is also on the fifth arc, but it's not that one. <laughs> 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 I believe it's right when you get there, and it relates to Snow, favorite character, yay. <laughs> and it's a really small scene. So when they arrive there, they're all talking about the fact that they, they're coming to the realization that they're, they are part of someone else's plan. Sars tells everyone that he wasn't piloting the ship when they were going through all the craziness and it wasn't his amazing skills that got them through it alive, that someone wanted them to get get to where they were. Mm. And throughout all of this, you know, they're looking at Snow, like what's Snow's reaction going to be? Because normally he'd be something saying something super positive or super peppy and like he's going to be the cheerleader and he's just standing over in the corner sulking and a couple of the characters say like, you know, they address the fact and he just doesn't even respond. And then I think this is, it's its not necessarily a snow moment. I think it's more of a lightning moment where she, once everything kind of died down, she just walks over to him and says, you know, like what's up. And he starts talking about how he, he realizes that he was wrong about Sarah. He realizes he was wrong about a lot of things. And instead of maybe in the past, she would have been like, really harsh on the guy because she hates him so much she's a little bit harsh but in like a jokey way to make him feel better and like it was a nice i think it was a really good defining moment for both of them from a character development perspective because it showed snow's weakness and it showed lightning's ability to forgive because she admits that even though she thinks he's a massive doofus she needed that like she needed someone to push her to do things that she didn't want to do like she 
what she didn't want to believe that Sarah was still alive. Like she wanted to just move on and stuff, but but Snow couldn't couldn't uh, he couldn't accept that at the time, and he wanted to still keep fighting. Mm-hmm. And like they, I think they realized at that moment that they needed each other to to like as a kind of ebb and flow or yin and yang. Mm-hmm. And, th- and doesn't she tell him he, he can marry Sarah and that he better actually marry her in the end? Yeah. And that's, that's effect? quite a bit later, I think, but yeah, like she, it's, it's, it's cause that happens in the field. Mm. Oh, right, right. But yeah, like it's, well, I think it, it kind of leads up to that. Like she, she realizes that maybe he's not such a bad guy. Yeah. That he's just misunderstood. Yeah. He is very Which means so. Maybe he should be the bad guy. Cause bad guys mm. are always misunderstood. Well, <laughs> flash forward to lightning returns, and then yep. you get your dream. Yeah, I think th- I think you're right, though. I think they really cheapen, they really drop the ball on him in the next in the sequels. Like the I didn't fact really that understand. he was just like, yeah. I can't marry Sarah, or I can't, yeah, I can't marry you, Sarah, without lightning around. Like, really, really, I can't. <laughs> I, I'm I'm so depressed. I'm so angry. Really, because he do- he just he like. After everything's settled, he leaves everyone to go and try and find her, doesn't he? Mm, they just can't have a happy ending. In the, in the novel, and then he ends up flying a flan for all eternity. Like, just give Sarah her happy ending. Like, honestly. Because Noel's like, so where's your, where's your boyfriend? She's like, I don't know. Like, I don't even know if he's my boyfriend anymore. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. I like you It's now. really awkward tension after that, yeah. <laughs> okay, so music. Always everyone's favorite topic. Chris, what's your favorite piece? So my favorite piece of music from the game comes from my honorable mention for best story moment, which is the Idolin theme. Mm. Um, I think it's just called Idolins on the soundtrack. Um, all those scenes are just epic, pivotal moments for the characters. And, um, you know, since, since Yumatsu left the series, the, the music doesn't have the same punch. It's not as, it doesn't have a signature style. Like no one can match that. But this is one of the moments in the soundtrack where I thought, wow, this is, this is on Nomar, like, or this is on Yumatsu level. Um, and just heightened all, all the tension of, of those of those tough boss fights. Um, so that would be my top choice, I think. Besides the obvious of some of the other ones to be mentioned later. You're right in terms of they needed that kind of heightened moment because like the boss themes that Uematsu always did were able to really, even though like the older games, the the action was as fast paced or as slow paced as you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. They just managed to make you feel really tense in that moment. Like stuff's going really badly mm-hmm. and the music's just kind of like there. Like just, it always had like the right tempo and the right highs and lows to to make you really get in the moment. And yeah, the idol and fights were so intense because obviously they always came after a really high t- intensity story sequence. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the fact that it was the... I mean, granted, I'm not going to pretend I know that much about music because I don't know that much about music quality, but I felt like the quality of the music was a lot higher in terms of, like, instrumentation stuff in this game. Um, Whereas, like, you had, like, Final Fantasy X, which was still on the sort of more midi side. That's what I'm going to use to describe that. Um, <laughs> whereas like 13 was the first of the offline. Well, no, maybe not. Was 12. 12 you, did 12 use a lot of instrumentation? 12 had, they had some like real life orchestra stuff, but mm. it was mostly samples, but like high quality samples. Whereas like this one, I felt like it took that to like another, a new level. Um, 
And I think that that just added even more to the battle themes, especially the boss Eidolons um, ones where you just sort of felt like it was so good. It is interesting with the compositional styles, though, because Uematsu obviously was able to use high quality samples from Final Fantasy VIII onwards. Mm -hmm. They're all using CDs. Like mm. it didn't really make that much of a difference. Obviously, the, the the quality of the samples would have progressed with the sampling technologies improving over time. But you know, there would have been PlayStation One games that had really, really strong top tier music because they had access to CDs. So it's just like if you got the storage capacity, you could do live instrumentation, you could do whatever you want. And Uematsu, I don't. It's not necessarily that he was behind the times. I think it's just that he knew what worked for him. There were certain mm. types of instruments, certain types of sounds that really worked with his style. And he stuck with them. So that's why Final Fantasy IX still uses that. Well, I can't remember what it is, but it's like on the on the 128 MIDI sound, sample keyboard, there's that, the, the Black Mage Village one. You know what I'm talking about there. The, the oh, whoop, yeah, yeah. Whoop, whoop sound. Like, yeah. it's that, like, <laughs> what? Like, I can't think of another composer who would use that in the CD age. <laughs> like, so it's like Mario Paint, maybe? Yeah. Just it's, so it's many just... silly, like, things. Like, it's it's really weird now. I mean, this is getting off topic, but it's really weird now to hear, like, the Final Fantasy VII remake soundtrack and some of the tracks that had his, like, funky noises in the reactor song, where you just have, like, the like weird warp, 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 yeah. like noises but they're not mm. in there anymore i'm like expecting them to be in there um but yeah no i mean i yeah move on to the next track please <laughs> so my track is is one that has only really come into being top tier for final fantasy 13 for me in recent times it's dust to dust hmm. lauren knows why it's one of my favorites but actually the story is quite interesting so when we were starting up the youtube channel i wanted to do a uh, hamwazi music video just like track all the tracks that he did and i was like scouring through everything obviously 13 he did the inside soundtrack so loads of material there and dust to dust just really it just i never really noticed it when i played the game it didn't stand out to me at the time but afterwards it's now one of my favorite tracks from the soundtrack just because of everything there's obviously the transition in my thing that i'm very proud of oh my gosh he's so proud of it uh, he the, listens to the <laughs> song and then i just see his face and he just goes it's ah. so good so yeah that that's uh that i'd say that's probably my favorite at the moment mm. and the interesting thing about what that one is that hamwazu did compose it but it wasn't him that did the final work it was mitsuto suzuki who is now working on with him on the seven remake soundtrack who mm. did the arrangement of it which is interesting to see uh, my other track I've got in there is it's Miracles. So it's the one that plays right after the Battle with Orphan. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like that one so much is because it it's a better version of the prelude. So the prelude of Final Fantasy thirteen, you know, it's got that really like um really low swell that's kind of like over the like this the the soft drum beat with just the music just going ding 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 and all that stuff. But then Miracles mm. has a more like, upbeat, it's more condensed, like, it's more built out, sorry, mm. version of it. And the prelude, I think, for 13 is actually really nice because mm -hmm. they didn't use the traditional 13, uh, the traditional Final Fantasy prelude in the game. And so, yeah, that's kind of my, my secondary, secondary one. Well, mine ones, um, I mean, the first one is pretty basic, Blinded by Light. I mean, it's a really freaking good battle theme whenever you think of final fantasy 13 or well, whenever i think about final fantasy 13 that's one of the first things i think of as far as music goes it's also the first um, piece of music you heard yeah about the game yeah like i it's just 
the do 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 it's just it's so catchy and it's just so pumping and so um definitive of the game like it's just it it i just love it it's, it's really also cool. quite different because typically Uematsu would use like a guitar for the mm. main melody or something. And this is just like a rock and violin. Oh, and I got, I love friggin' violins. Um, yeah, any violin theme I will totally hop on board for. Um, but then the other one, um, and this is a bit more hipster of me, I would say, um, is uh, Kimi ga iru kara, which is actually the original main theme of uh, ending theme of Final Fantasy thirteen, far superior to my hands, um, is in very much a similar style to the other tracks that you hear in Final Fantasy thirteen, because it was actually meant for Final Fantasy thirteen. But yeah, it's just it's a gorgeous song, and it's. Um, yeah, it deserves deserves its place. I was going to say, is the only reason you picked it so you could talk about my hands? Oh my goodness! Oh my hands! <laughs> White song? I know. <laughs> it's just ah, uh, it's just I I do I have a massive bugbear about like when they try to do things for like marketing purposes. Like it was clearly that that was just chosen because they were just like. We have to get an a Western performer singing a song on this game so that we maybe can sell more copies or something like that. That That is my theory about why they chose this, because I don't know any other reason why they would have done that. But like, it's it's something that they've only, they've really like done recently. So they did it with 13. They did it with uh, Final Fantasy 15. Make the song that you want that fits with the theme of the game. Because Type Zero worked really well. Type Zero was amazing. I love Bump of Chicken Zero. Like, it's so good and it fits so well. And the themes of the Final Fantasy games, the vocal tracks, those are what, like, I always go back to. Particularly the orchestrated versions, like Eyes on Me, um... The, the sort of ending theme version, um, Sutekitana, the like um, orchestral version of that. There's so many good tracks that they come up with. I just wish that they would just stick to that because that's what they intended to do. And I just hate it. I yeah, hate instead it. of just saying, oh. Here, here's a song that's already been written, which has nothing to do with this game. Yeah. But the themes are kind of similar-ish yeah Yeah, we'll just license that one like i just (laughs) i can't listen to stand by me anymore without like being like i just want (laughs) to kill something um no it's just it really makes me like i know it's just silly it's just a song but oh so on that fun note what's your favorite thing about the game i think final fantasy 13 did gameplay really well i think it was um, a lot of fun to play it as much as it was frustrating at, tum- at times because it was a lot more difficult. Like the bar for difficulty was he- like set a lot higher than I think any other game. I had to think <laughs> a lot more than I've ever had to think in another Final Fantasy game. And um, I appreciated that. To me, it was the natural evolution for where the gameplay would go after... 10 or 9 or the ATB system it was just 
yeah, sure, there was a degree of automation within it, but like, if you didn't have the automation, it would be damn near impossible yeah. to play the game. Like, I didn't care about the fact I only controlled one character specifically in terms of actions because I wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to. You just wouldn't be able to. Yeah, and then I think to, to your point about it being an evolution of the previous games, like it's, it took me a while into the game. I realized, oh, this is this is a job system. This is like black mage, white mage. This is. This is them hiding in plain sight, but dressing it up a little different and giving you the paradigm system to kind of work with. Um, so it wasn't just a clear cut and paste type of thing. And then, yeah, switching up the paradigms and everything made, and the stagger reel and everything like that made, made each serious fight a lot more interesting and involved. I it also meant that you could feasibly lose random encounters, which was not normally a thing unless you just had the thing where you hadn't cured yourself for a long time and just happened to go across a particularly hard fiber you know this could just be normal fights that you can encounter and you had to think in those to make sure that you didn't lose mm-hmm. mm. i think that's definitely my my favorite part of the game as well just it really seemed fresh and i know that some people don't like it because it's just hitting x but it's no different from any other final fantasy game in that regard <laughs> <laughs> but it just it made you think about strategy for, i think for the first time like some other games you would have to think about strategy in terms of making sure you're equipping the right armor to make sure you nullify status effects and things like that status effects weren't really in this it was it was more of a you have to actually because it would fit the game would figure those out for itself like because it's automated like when you cast the wrong magic it'll be there and it wouldn't cost it again great don't have to think about that you had to think about you'd say about the job system no other game had had it so that you could change jobs in a battle to adapt to what was happening final fantasy 10 obviously had the character switching mechanic in there but this was taking that to another level in terms of you had different setups you could use and you had to change them in the fight depending on what was happening. In previous games, there was a defend option. When would you ever, like, no one ever used it. Like, <laughs> yeah. whereas in this, you actually had to, sometimes you just had to go, like, sentinel, double medic, just mm. or all three sentinel, like, you just had to go super defensive. Mm. Like, in an actual like like sports environment for example like sometimes you want to go all out attack sometimes you want to go defend you actually had to adapt to things and how everything was changing you had to pay attention to what was going on and react to it and that made it interesting to me it was it was something that was actually exciting fun and it made those fights really tense sometimes when especially the eidolon fights Mm. where the mm-hmm. the crystarium system was maxed out you couldn't grind you couldn't mm-hmm. grind to solve your problems because they put caps on it and they're just like you can't progress beyond this point unless you understand how to play this game mm. mm-hmm. yeah that's a great point actually yeah which annoyed some people mm-hmm. that didn't understand how to play the game <laughs> <laughs> well there are a lot of unfair, unfair things that this game got blamed for but uh... it is a fair point though because it probably was one of the first times that everybody had to kind of figure out how to beat it without like some kind of cheapy method i mean maybe there was a cheapy method but like we all kind of had to be on the same level yeah, generally you got to the same like when you like i i think the hardest one is generally alexander hopes eidolon that's one yeah. where people struggle a lot oh. but it's like yeah you everyone pretty much plays that in the same situation Mm. yeah his might be the one where it's actually stacked the most against you partly to reflect how young he is and everything like that yeah i remember that one being the one i beat my head against the wall most yep. <laughs> Gosh, hope. yeah i think yeah atb system for me like in the evolution they did of it was 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 nice it's just disappointing that they abandoned it completely 
after that and we never saw it again really apart from the sequels of it yeah it'd be, it'd be great to see it return again like i, I, I don't believe atb or turn-based battle is, is dead yet mm. but we shall see i guess <laughs> i also wanted to kind of mention the character development like we were talking earlier about how the translation might have not served the characters pretty well but at least it took the time to try and flesh everybody out like you had like mentioned earlier the characters and pairs like they're paired against the person who reflects the things they need to see the most in themselves um having lightning and hope together and saws and vanille knowing later on knowing vanille's secret and everything like that some of the translation might not have served and maybe some of the voice acting might not have served because of the nature of you know this is one of the first fully voice acted final fantasy games but they were still figuring some things out i felt anyways um more so than or less so than in 12 where they'd first done it but um yeah the the, the effort was there i thought at least to try and, and bring people together and maybe that again contributed to the linearity and the confusion and whatnot but um yeah and i thought the, the effort was there at least and some more than some games try yeah definitely and it, it's clear that they were trying to do something different it's just uh, for me i always think it's a bit of a shame because obviously katarze had done such a good job with character development between seven eight and ten and he was still overseeing 13 in the same way that Sakaguchi would have overseen the projects that he was working on. I don't know, Toriyama just didn't get it right. And it's and it's a, it's a shame that he didn't get it right because in 13... Well, it's a shame he didn't get it right on that game because 13-2 had much better character development. Caius is a great character. Like, Noel also, like, clear motivations for those characters. Sarah's kind of there... But those those two characters that they introduced and Yule as well was good. They they actually had stuff you could get behind. Like you you could understand Caius as a character. You could understand mm. his motivations as an antagonist. You knew what he was trying to do, and Noel as well. Like you, it, like those characters had like real backstory. They had real tension. They had real in the moment motivations, and you could understand why they were reacting the way they were based on what you knew about them. So it's not like they couldn't, he couldn't do it. It's just that for some reason in the game where it mattered most for him to get it right, he <laughs> he wasn't able to. And that's like a real shame in that regard, I think. Because yeah, like it was, it was laying the foundations for the storytelling they did in the next one, essentially. Whether that was the intention at the time or not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely did lay a good foundation, but uh, yeah. So to round things out, what's your what's your fun story about thirteen, Chris? That maybe no one knows. Well, uh, so the first time I played it was at launch. Um, actually, funny Final Fantasy twelve came out in the fall of my first year of university, so I kind of balanced playing that with my schoolwork. And then Final Fantasy thirteen came out in the spring of my final year of my undergrad, so I kind of used it as my study break. I went to the midnight launch and found time to to play it while I was working and going to school and. Um, there was one particular evening where I pulled my first and only university all-nighter trying to get some essays done. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this is the one time I did in four or five years of school. And uh, my break was going through Final Fantasy thirteen bit by bit. And it was right around the time when you got to Urba Village. And you th- I think you fight Barthanos for the first time there. Mm. Um, so it started to become a bit of a distraction. And I had to kind of step away for a bit <laughs> and push on with the essay so I could come back to it. 
step away, step away. Yeah. <laughs> priorities, away from priorities. The <laughs> <laughs> the weird head. Yeah, and and also getting I was getting married that same like that same year too. So that was all that was all going on and Final Fantasy thirteen was kind of the thing I turned to. And I was in kind of a bubble at the time and just between school and prepping for all that stuff and working a part time job and so when I kind of emerged from it afterwards, I was like, what people aren't on board with this game totally. Yeah. <laughs> like so that was a bit of a shock to you with that. Yeah, I mean, for me, well, like we said before, it it was really testing Daryl and I's relationship. <laughs> um, <laughs> the fact that, yeah, I I wanted attention and and I wasn't getting the attention that I I I, I wanted. Yeah, I don't think you quite understood <laughs> the pressure I was under no, at that time until I played it, and then I was just kind of like, I understand completely because this game is really hard in comparison to other games but yeah i mean other than that i i honestly can't remember where i was when i played through final fantasy 13 for the 14 when i played through final fantasy 13 for the first time i honestly i don't even know i just know that i played through it (laughs) i don't it was a thing that i just kind of blanked it out like i don't even know i don't even know if i was married at the time i don't i don't think we were I don't I, rem- I, you played on Xbox 360, didn't you? I have a feeling I did, but I might not have done. Although, no, wait, I think was I it played it on the PS3 after after that Christmas. Yeah, because I think what happened was is that well, yeah, like I had the whole thing where I got a 360 because PlayStation 3 was in hibernation mode because um, <laughs> they were trying to upgrade, get rid of the backwards compatibility stuff, so I couldn't play it. And then I got a PlayStation 3. It must have been then. I can't remember. All I know is that, yeah, I played it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I played it. I I played it. For me, it was a really weird game to play because I've been part of the Final Fantasy community for a very long time, but not really covering any of the games. I've just been contributing to the communities, talking in the forums and stuff. Whereas this one... It was the first time where it was a complete cycle. Like I I had been running fan sites for since about 20... I, I set up my own site for the first time. Before that, I'd been co- contributing to others and or like co-running or something. But I set up my own one, Square Union, in 2006, 2007 to teach myself PHP. And Final Fantasy thirteen was the next game that was coming out. And then obviously I became part of the podcast and we started covering the game a lot more, like really getting invested in the game. And then when the, the opportunity came around through Gaming Union to actually review the game, I got sent it, yeah, like two, I think two days. Oh no, I think the embargo was on a Tuesday I got, and I got it on the Saturday afternoon. <laughs> it was crazy. No pressure. And, you know, for me, it was, it was it, yeah, it was so much pressure to finish the game in that regard because, you know, it was something that we'd, we'd been talking about for so long and I was so excited to play it after covering it for so long as well. And you know, that whole thing of like, I've got to rush through it. I've got to, I've got to get this review out on time because it's, it's the only, like we'd done quite a few reviews by that time, but it was the, it was the review that our entire community was interested in seeing from us because we were fundamentally a final fantasy biased publication like it was it was the foundation it was the like where everything started so for us to cover that game at the same time it would it would really present us as a major publication 
give us a lot of credibility within the community. So yeah, it was it was weird because I did manage to get it done. I did manage to get my review out. I was actually a lot more positive than a lot of people, weirdly enough. A lot of a lot of publications were really ragging on it because they were saying it, it's not Final Fantasy. <laughs> and, you know, I was th- there thinking like, well, by saying that, that's kind of an oxymoron because like, you know, you're saying there's no Moogles like, and stuff like that. And it's like, well, there doesn't have to be like... It's, it doesn't have the same gaper mechanics. Well, it doesn't have to. It's like, that's the whole point of the franchise. Like, <laughs> like do you guys know this franchise? And so, yeah, I was I actually gave a really positive review. Like, I, I didn't skirt over negatives, but I, I took it from the approach of, okay, so maybe things didn't necessarily work out 100% well. Like, it wasn't my favorite Final Fantasy game I'd ever played. But I appreciated, as you say, Chris, I appreciated the fact that they had tried. They had tried things that were mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. and I didn't want them to get discouraged because it wasn't bad. It was just different. Mm. Yeah, like it's not at the top of a list or it's not the bottom of a list for me yeah, personally. Like, like it's- it, they, they, had, they had completely different game and mechanics. They tried a new story mode, like a way of delivering the story. They had a completely new composer working on the soundtrack again. Like pretty much everything about this game was different from like... 12 and it was completely different from 10 mm. and but it was not it was not terrible and i think i distinctly remember in my review saying that final fantasy 13 was the best like one of the best jrpgs we'd had in a decade mm. because final fantasy 10 came out almost 10 years before that game like 12 whether or not you think it's better or worse is is up for debate but like what other JRPGs came out between 10 and 13 that would be seen as world beaters outside like Persona 3, mm-hmm. I guess? Yeah, maybe well, not Lost Odyssey. Yeah, because like that um. <laughs> JRPGs went through a really big lull. And really, if you put it on that scale, like Final Fantasy 13 was one of the best JRPGs of that era. Like it just was like the gameplay mechanics were really good. The soundtrack even though it wasn't as good as an Uematsu one from the generation before, was still high quality. Mm. The character development wasn't fantastic, but it wasn't abysmal. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and like, I, I, I just, I, I, I found it really hard to accept so many publications giving it like sevens. Like, this is not a seven out of 10 game. Like, what mm. did you play? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like in a lot of ways, it was the first real mainline Final Fantasy game since 10 because 11 was the online RPG and 12 was a very different sort of beast. It was a more of an evilist game. And so, yeah, it was the first time I felt anyways, in my perspective, having followed the series since uh, seven and eight were coming out. Um, it still felt like it, but it was, it was definitely different. It was the first time I really felt it felt more like a Final Fantasy to me than 12 did anyways. Mm. Um, yeah, like it was the first time without Uematsu, without you know relying on familiar Ivalice style music for twelve, and yeah, no, it's a, I definitely felt they got a bad rap at the time, and even still, I think it holds up pretty well. It's kind of like just thinking that it, it's a shame that Toriyama never got the chance to do another game because he just went on to sequels. Yeah, he did. He did mm. ten two, and then he did uh, thirteen. And then he did 13 2 and Lightning Returns. Like, Kataze got the chance to get his feet wet with five, co direct with another veteran on six, to, so he could really learn the ropes around things. And then he got seven and eight. And 
like Toriyama just he got to do a sequel and then he got to do his mainline game and then he never got the chance to do another one so everything that he learned from 13 kind of got poured into 13 too mm-hmm. but a lot of people didn't ever play that game they didn't get to see how although, much the, he had progressed and learned although you forgot Mobius <laughs> yay although who could I mean like seriously though Mobius does have a really good like from what we've played Mobius does have a really good story yeah it was decent for a mobile game yeah but ultimately like you know I know that Toriyama has got a lot more in him he's a, he's a like a really talented writer he's mm-hmm. been involved in a lot of like prominent writing roles throughout the franchise yeah and it would have been nice to see him if they like if if Final Fantasy if Square Enix hadn't managed to shoot themselves in the foot by not knowing what to, to do decision wise getting stuck making these ridiculously long development cycles that they don't need to have mm-hmm. they've just somehow convinced themselves that they do every other triple a studio can churn out games in a year two mm-hmm. years tops they take longer than that if they're like really not knowing what they're doing and they're trying to do something completely like world shattering but like you know they didn't have to do 13 2 they could have done another numbered series game similar mechanics completely fresh story just learn and it would have been such a better option for them to do that i think especially from his perspective because now Mm. toriyama's kind of in this weird place where i don't think anyone would accept him being the the director of final fantasy 16 for example like Mm. he had his chance with 13 and that was it i mean the dust maybe has settled a bit i think since 13 but i don't think people would be that interested well, there, there is a cycle, right? Like, like after a while, to bring up the Star Wars prequels again, after a while, everyone started loving them again, um, where they hadn't been received well in the first place. So I think with a little bit of time, if they were to put out like an HD remaster or like they did with uh, the Xbox Game Pass, they put it out there again and people play it again. Same thing that we saw with Final Fantasy XII in the Zodiac Age. People would think, oh, I'm like, this wasn't as bad as I thought it was, or this held, this held up better. And I think, I think people would be, would be kinder to them now if they got a, if they got a new shot. But Toriyama's on the 7 Remake now, so... Yeah. He's tied up. By the, by the time the 7 <laughs> Remake finishes, he's probably going to retire. <laughs> if it lasts another 10 years... Could be a big yeah. changing of the guard, yeah. They're all spending all their time working on 7, so... <laughs> that, that's kind of it. That's After that, they're creatively done. That's like, a retirement fund. I mean, like, if that does last 10 years, Nomura is going to be almost... What? He's almost 50 now? So he'll, mm. he'll be almost 60. Mm. Anyway, so I think that, that kind of rounds things out. Mm. We're all... Super motivated still. <laughs> oh, 13. You tried, 13, you tried. I know, I know. Like, it's, it's yeah, again, it's not, it's not like a terrible game. Like, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be like the internet hive mind and be like, oh, it's a piece of trash. It's like, it's not. It's playable. It's perfectly playable. It's just, it's, it's not what I would have expected from a Final Fantasy game. Is that you trying to be positive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a good way to put it, though, you I know, think. It's just, it's just the bar was set quite high for Final Fantasy games for me. And I like it more than I like 12, but it's still not great. I was not expecting you to end on such a low. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Lauren's going into tired mode. She can't, she can't do it. She's, everything's bad right now. It's okay. She just wants sleep. If anything doesn't relate to sleep, it's just a terrible thing. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm saying that's not bad. I think it's I think it's still pretty good. 
Mm. It's not, it's like you're saying, it's, as you say, Chris, it's not like, it's not at the top. It's definitely not at the bottom. It's something I need, I need to replay again too. I think like, like talking about it and even like I watched a few cutscenes and things like that. And like Vanille and Fang track better now that you know what they go through and their whole storyline. Vanille seems less spacey and like disinterested in what's going on. Like she's like, you see her motivations much more clearly. And so, yeah, it's something I need to, I need to replay, but <laughs> who knows when that yeah, will be. Who knows. <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah thank you for joining us chris on this wonderful trip down memory lane oh thank you for having me it's always a pleasure the next episode of final fantasy union is scheduled to come out on the 31st of march be sure to, as always to check out all our news coverage on finalfantasyunion.com and if you enjoy what we do why not check us out on patreon at patreon.com forward slash ffkhunion and with that it's time to say goodbye goodbye everyone Goodbye. And I'm Daryl saying goodbye. This has been a FinalFansUnion.com production.